Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. We are past the one-third mark of the Major League season. We are past Memorial Day. We are heading into June. Time flies. I can't believe it's June 1st already. Memorial Day is generally a key checkpoint of the Major League season, that one-third checkpoint, and a lot has happened already. To break it all down with me, I'm joined by Jeff Ponce to kind of just take stock of where teams are, who's for real, who isn't, early season surprises, disappointments, and what to expect moving forward. Jeff, good to see you, my friend. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, good to be back on. I've been uh, I've been listening to your, your podcast you put out, talking to some scouts uh, behind the plate, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's been a good one. A lot of really interesting insights on uh, scouting and just sort of the lifestyle and what a lot of these guys go through, especially the guys that are, you know, signing players in the draft. I appreciate the plug. Uh, the check is in the mail. <laughs> but as Jeff, as Jeff mentioned, uh, yeah, we've started up a new podcast here at Baseball America, uh, Behind the Plate with Kyle Glazer. It's a podcast where I talk to amateur scouts throughout the game about some of the players they've signed, their lives in scouting, uh, and just their experiences. A lot of these guys have a lot of insight on baseball and life itself, and sometimes they don't get the recognition they deserve. So we want to kind of bring these guys to light and let them share their stories. Their stories are the best part. Um, but today we're here to talk baseball and, and everything that's happened in the 2023 Major League season. Before we do, though, Jeff, I, I have to ask you if you are in an okay mind frame to have this discussion and not be overly angry. The reason I have to ask that is because as a native Bostonian, it has been a very, very, very difficult sports month. The Bruins, one of the best regular season teams of all time this year, lost in the first round. The Celtics no-showed in Game 7 against the Heat. And the Red Sox are in last place in the AL East. So, Jeff, first and foremost, as your friend, I want to ask you, how's your <laughs> mental health? Uh, perfectly fine. I mean, we've won, we've won more championships than the rest of the country combined over the last 20 years. So, uh, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think there's much at this point I can complain about. I'm also old enough to have grown up in the Fellowship of the Miserable. So um, that is the pre-pink hat uh, Red Sox fandom. So we're, we expect bad things to happen. Like I don't anticipate, like if the Bruins are the best team in the league, I kind of anticipate they're going to lose in the playoffs. Now, granted, they lost to the, the Panthers. The Panthers make the Stanley Cup finals. You know, they took them a seven. Not everybody else did. So, you know, I'll take some solace in that. And, and the Celtics, they're down 3-0. They tied it up. We got 20 playoff games and Jason Tatum got hurt in the first play of the game and was like almost immobile. So, you know, all things considered, it, no, it's not too bad. And you know what I said? As soon as that Celtics game ended, I said, it's time for baseball. It's baseball time. There's a writer's strike, so there's not going to be any new TV. I'm just going to be watching baseball. Sorry, honey, but we're going to be watching baseball games. You know what? That's remarkably rational perspective. Um, this is a podcast, Jeff. We're not supposed to have that. Come on now. It's bad. It's bad podcast. No, you're right. I mean, again, it's one of those things where 
we all know the city of Boston has had plenty of championships over uh, the first 20 years of this millennium. And again, anything else at this point is gravy. So it, it was definitely uh, tough to see that Bruins team lose in the first round, given how great they were over the course of the regular season. And I have to say the sports talk radio uh, banter of, is it time to break up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? I'm like, come on, really? They just reached the Eastern conference finals. Are we really talking about blowing this up? Side rants. This is a rational podcast and you have set the tone for it very, very well. Although I have to say, we might have a conversation at the end that some people might think is irrational and crazy, but we'll let them be the judge of that. Oh, All right, Jeff. That, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Before we get to that, though, Jeff, as I mentioned, Memorial Day is generally seen as kind of a, a key checkpoint in the course of Major League season. Uh, teams are a third of the way through the year, a little over at this point. And look, it's still early. But it's not still early, you know, capital S, capital T, where it's like, okay, yeah, slow start, we're fine, we're, we're in good shape. Generally speaking, by this point in the season, for the most part, teams have a pretty good idea of who they are, what they need, where their weaknesses are. And when it comes time to assess playoff odds, this generally is a fairly predictive point in the season. Uh, I went back and looked at this. Last year, eight of the 12 teams who were in playoff position on June 1st reached the postseason. Uh, it was four out of six in each league. And that kind of lines up with what I found back in 2020 in preparation for the 60-game season. I looked at how many teams that are in postseason position after 60 games are in the playoffs after 162. And I found that just under 75% of teams that were in playoff position after 60 games ended up making the playoffs. That was from 2012 to 2019. So last year was the first year of the 12-team playoff field. Again, eight of the 12 made it that were in playoff position on June 1st. Generally speaking, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of teams that are in postseason position by this point in the season end up reaching the playoffs. Um, so the teams who are off to hot starts – have put themselves in a really good position. And I think, again, history tells us most of these teams will reach the postseason by the time October rolls around. I want to kind of get your thoughts on the current playoff field as it stands today, who will be in it, who won't be. I guess I'll just start with a number of the 12 teams that are currently in playoff position. I guess it's technically 13 because right now there's a three-way tie for the final two NL wildcard spots of the, let's just, call it 12 for now how many of these teams do you think will be in the postseason by the time we get to october Ooh, um you know the funny thing is there's not too many teams here that i think are way over their heads um you know you look at al current playoffs rays i think we probably anticipate they're going to be a playoff team especially the way they pitched do they have depth um, we'll talk about this later, but, you know, strong offense as well. Uh, I think the twins in that division seem to be the class of <laughs> the AL central, which is not saying a whole lot. It's kind of the, the big fish in a small pond. Uh, but I do think they're probably positioned to be the best team. Rangers have been one of the better teams. We'll talk a little bit more about them in a minute. We'll talk about the Rays. Rangers have been very good. They could get better throughout the season, uh, especially if Jacob deGrom comes back and is healthy. Fingers crossed there, knock on wood you know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, sort of superstitions you want to do there to get him back. Orioles, I think, were probably the one I have the biggest question on in the AL. Uh, the Yankees and the Astros, I anticipate, would be playoff teams. Uh, Astros have maybe underperformed a little bit, but some of the moves they made this offseason really haven't paid dividends. Um, Jose Abreu just hit his first home run of the season 
over Memorial Day weekend. Um, doesn't look like a huge upgrade, if one, from Yuli Guriel of last season, which is not a great look. Um, but I would probably say the Orioles. The Orioles are in a position right now in a buyer's market where there are a potential ton of rotation arms available. I don't know if there's any aces necessarily. We'll see how that all plays out. But there are options. They have the sort of kitty in the minor leagues between really all four levels, but particularly in the upper majors where, excuse me, upper minors where they can potentially make a move here and add a pitcher or two even. They have enough players and enough sort of prospect capital, if you want to talk about it that way, to be able to make a move like that. Um, But they have to do something. I think that when you look at these teams in the AL playoff picture, Rays, Twins, Rangers, Yankees, Astros, the, the you know five that we brought up. The Orioles are the one that probably is the least balanced. It's a good offense. I think defensively they do some nice things. It's a good bullpen. The starting pitching is still a major question mark for me. So that's probably the one that I would say I would bet wouldn't be in the picture. On the NL side, you got the Braves, the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks. I don't think there's any huge shocks there. Everybody on staff was pitching, picking the Diamondbacks as a potential breakout team this season. Um, at the end, it's Marlins, Mets, Giants. I think the Mets eventually, just because of the resources they have, players in the team, they've underperformed a little bit. Maybe I'm silly, but banking on the Mets here. I do think that of that sort of scrum between Marlins, Mets, and Giants, you're probably betting on the Mets the most. So I don't think it's going to be too much of a shakeup. I don't I don't see any sort of like major sleeper wild cards. Um, Philly just doesn't seem to have the pitching to be able to do that, frankly. And I've seen <laughs> their double A squad for two days in a row, including <laughs> earlier this morning. Um, and I just don't think there's a lot of help there necessarily, particularly on the starting pitching side. And they don't have enough players that they can deal off a lot of these guys and get back somebody that's that's going to be an option for them. You know, the, the NL Central and the AL Central are in cahoots. I mean, they're very they're they're brother and sister. They're very very similar. Uh, where you have Milwaukee, who isn't great, but is definitely the class of that division. Pittsburgh is in second. The Pirates are in second in that division right now. Then you got the Cubs, and then we'll talk about the Cardinals and how bad they've been in last place. And then, you know, out in the West, I guess San Diego is kind of the sleeping giant, but they just have not been able to get it together. And maybe they're not as deep as we thought they were coming into the season. There's, you know, potentially some depth questions there. So, I don't know if there's a ton of shakeup here, Kyle. I, I really think that we kind of had the cream rise to the top already, and maybe there's onesie, twosie teams that the right injuries, things like that can happen. But as they're currently constructed, I, I don't necessarily see anybody I, I just write off. Yeah, I've got nine of the 12 teams I think that are currently in playoff position will reach the postseason by the time October rolls around. I, I think we'll see exactly that 75% marker. The teams I'm looking at to fall off and then the teams I'm looking at to move in, you mentioned the Orioles in the American League. That's the one team. They're off to a great start. They've certainly been really impressive offensively, and and they're playing in a tough division, even with the new balance schedule. They're still seeing a lot of their own division. I will say, you know, regarding the starting pitching, look, they have to make a move. Um, They've had to make a move, really. They should have made one last July. Instead, they chose to sell off. They should have made one in the offseason. They didn't. They, they really need to make a move this trade deadline. If they don't, it's frankly going to be hard to take them seriously as a team that can actually contend and knows when to flip the switch from rebuilding to contending. But 
one thing that is is potentially going to be big for them, and unfortunately he just had a setback, um, but the potential return of John Means. I, I think that people have forgotten how good he was. Then he got hurt, had Tommy John surgery. He just had another setback in his rehab, but he still does figure to come back at some point during the season. Now, we have generally seen, and again, this is super general, it's guys second year back from TJ that they kind of start resembling their prior form. The first year back, they're still feeling their way back, getting confidence, letting the ball go. But if he comes back, and even if he's not 100% John Means, even if he's 75% John Means, that's a pretty good pitcher. So I, I do think that getting him back into this rotation potentially, again, we have to see how much this recent setback, how much longer it keeps him out. That could be a boost. That said, they are the team I'm looking at in the current AL field I'm skeptical of. I believe in the Rangers. You mentioned as a staff, uh, most people pick the D-backs as their breakout team. Uh, I picked the Rangers, and that one's looking pretty good so far. You know, the teams I'm looking at to move in in the AL, you know, the Mariners are starting to play better. We saw this last year. I got to a really slow start, ripped off a 14-game winning streak going into the All-Star break, and from there just springboarded uh, really into the postseason. Um the one thing that concerns me about the Mariners so far, they're nine and 17 against teams above 500. They have really, really, really struggled when they've had to play competitive teams. And for me, that's partially why when I look at the team that I think will eventually supplant Baltimore in the AL playoff picture, um, to me, it's the Blue Jays. You look at them, they've had a lot of really good players underperform so far, but you know, there's more in there. You know, they can get better. I just see a really talented team with a lot of guys off to slow starts. And even with that, they're over 500 and they're 20 and 20 against teams with 500 or better records. They have been competitive against winning ball clubs. And again, a lot of that is within their own division. So I, I, again, with the Blue Jays, I just see a team here that has a lot of upside. Their guys are not clicking on all cylinders yet, not by a long shot. A lot of key guys, I should say. And yet they've still been competitive in a very, very tough division. I, I think the Blue Jays are going to swap with the Orioles and the AL. You know, the NL, I'm actually going to talk about this. We're going to dive into this a little bit later. Um, the Cardinals are surging very, very quietly. They're surging quite a bit. I expect them to put, push their way into the NL playoff field, uh, kind of make all their early struggles a distant memory. Again, Braves, Brewers, Dodgers, D-backs. The D-backs have arrived a year early, but you look at the NL right now, they are one of the best teams in the league. And that's something that's a part of this. It's going to be really interesting. I think if you look at those four teams plus the Cardinals and Mets, you know, that'll probably be the field. But we're seeing teams who are barely over 500, which includes the Mets right now, you know, Marlins and Giants. They're they're right there. Um, the NL is very, very down this year. You, you see that just watching the league in general. And you just look at the records, right? Again, I mean, right now, you look at the best teams in baseball record-wise. I mean, the third-place team in the AL East has the same record. I assume it's only a half game worse than the best record in the NL right now. Um, the Yankees are only a half game behind the Dodgers. So I think this is a league that's a little more up for grabs. That said, um, I do think we will see the Orioles drop off, the Blue Jays move on. We'll see the Cardinals in the postseason by the time the season is done. And, and ultimately, we'll have nine of 12 teams that are currently in stay in. I do want to ask Jeff, you know, we talk about the Rays and how good they've been. As we sit here today, they have the best record in baseball. They have the best run differential in baseball. Um, just been a juggernaut all the way around 39, 18, uh, 118 
plus, uh, plus 118 run differential. They're playing the Cubs right now. So by the time you listen to this podcast, uh, their record will be slightly different. But um, they've been a juggernaut early. What has been your biggest takeaway from the Rays? And for me, they're the biggest surprise in the league, but but specifically it's the offense. What are your thoughts on the Rays and, and how real and sustainable what they're doing is over the course of the season? I know we had this discussion in April, but we're having it again here uh, for this podcast uh, as we head into June. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that of the Rays teams that we've seen, uh, and granted, they obviously went on that, that winning streak to open the season. I think this is the most sustainable team. A big part of that is Wander Franco is healthy. There's been progression there. I think we've seen some progression from Randy Arizarena. Um, we've seen a ton of progression from Josh Lowe. Um, and they've been hiding him from left-handed pitching, which has been helpful. Um, Isaac Paredes has taken a step forward this year. And I think the biggest one is probably Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz is finally putting together that season that everybody had been predicting for like five consecutive years, swing change, swing change, swing change. It seems like it's finally taken shape where he's got 12 pumps right now, you know, in 46 games, he's walking 13% of the time. He's only striking out 14, 15% of the time. Now the numbers are all there. He's one of the best offensive players in the major leagues in all of baseball right now. The exit velocity data, all the underlying stuff has always been really good on him. It's always been a matter of like, can he put the ball in the air enough? And this is a guy prior to last season who had always been 50% plus. He just eked underneath 50% last year at 49.8. He's at 45% this year in terms of ground ball rate. His fly ball rate is at about 35%, which is by far the highest of his career. He's maintained the line drive rate. He's still hitting the balls hard in the air a majority of the time now. And, you know, I think when you look at this offense, it's really tough to argue against it. Yeah, there's onesie twosie places where they could maybe replace guys or upgrade, but they're also a team that does well at putting hitters on their roster into the best possible positions to produce and succeed. Uh, and they've built a roster around that. And, I don't really think at this point you can knock the pitching. They've gotten sure, you know, they lost Jeffrey Springs, who looked like a breakout. Taj Bradley came up. He's been really good. Tyler Glass now is back now. Eflin's been pretty good. Shane uh, McClenahan looks like a, an ace, frankly, um, or, you know, a, a one-two starter. Um, and Fleming isn't bad. You know, like they have a good bullpen. That's always been the case with the Rays. They don't know how to identify those guys. Um you know, unfortunately, they lost Drew Rasmussen, um, you know, but they have the depth in order to be able to deal with those injuries. So for me, I think this is a sustainable team. I think you can argue this is the best team in baseball, as the record has shown, because um, they're well balanced. And maybe there's a little bit less ego on this team than there maybe are in other ones, you know, just in terms of guys fitting into different roles hitting at different spots in the lineup. They've done that for so many years. All these guys are like almost used to it. I think this is, this might be the peak Rays season, frankly. You know, it's interesting. The Rays offensively have not been a juggernaut really throughout this run of success. And that to me is why the Rays offense, more specifically than the Rays themselves are the biggest surprise. So as we sit here recording this podcast, um, uh, you know, past Memorial Day, Heading into June, I mean, a, a good chunk of the season is, un, is past us now. 
The Rays lead the majors in hits, home runs, stolen bases, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, naturally OPS. Their second run scored. I mean, they're they're doing it every which way. This is not a one-dimensional offense. They're hitting for average. They're hitting for power. They're stealing bases. They're taking their walks. One to nine and really one to 11 or 12 with how they cycle guys in, they're doing everything. And that to me is what's been so impressive is this is a well-balanced offense. It's a deep offense that can beat you in so many different ways. And that's not something the Rays have had. Last year, this team was 21st in the majors in scoring. Now they're second. They, they did a good job in 2021. They're actually second in the majors that year in scoring too. But that was more of an outlier. You look at it, they were 12th in 2020, 15th in 2019, 16th in 2018. You know, the Rays formula has been great pitching, you know, average to slightly below average offense and and that'll get you into the playoffs but it gets exposed real quickly in the playoffs that's a big reason why they've struggled a lot now you look at this offense this is what a championship caliber offense looks like it's deep it's dynamic they can beat you so many different ways you know wander franco and randy rosarena have taken the step to become true stars in major league baseball as the anchors of that offense Josh Lowe taking his step forward has been huge, but you're, you're getting it from, again, you mentioned Yandy Diaz, Harold Ramirez has had a really good year. You know, guys who've come up from the minors or were low cost acquisitions like Taylor Wall and Luke Rayleigh have been huge for them. I mean, this is a legitimately good offense. And that to me has been the biggest surprise and it's what's kept them afloat. Again, Drew Rasmussen suffered an injury. Jeffrey Springs suffered an injury. You know, Taj Bradley's come up, look good. Getting Tyler Glassnow back is certainly helpful, but you know, their bullpen, some key guys they've relied on in the past have not been very good this year. Um, th- this is a team that that has flaws, but how good their offense has been has kept them afloat. Now, I'll say this, you know, back when we talked in April, Jeff, I mentioned that it was a great, great start for them. You, you cannot discount it. The wins count just the same. But May was going to be the meat grinder. May was going to tell us how good of a team they really were because the schedule was so much tougher. The Rays went 22 and six in April. Uh, They went 16 and 12 in May. Again, they're playing the Cubs as of right now. So depending on how that ends up, maybe they'll be 17 and 12, maybe they'll be 16 and 13. So clearly that's not been the world beating record we saw in April, but going 16 and 13 or 17 and 12 against the schedule they have is very, very, very respectable. And I think that's indicative of the caliber of team this is. Again, this was never a team that was going to maintain their early pace, that was going to challenge for 116 wins in a season. But, you know, if you can go 16 and 13 or 17 and 12 against the caliber of competition they face this month, that bodes pretty well for them. And I think this is a team that increasingly is looking like, yeah, they can and should win 95 games. And I think for the first time, they have the kind of offense that can carry them deep into October. I mean, let's just be frank, aside from the 2020 postseason, which was structured in such a way it played right into their strengths, they haven't won a playoff series since 2008. They haven't gotten out of uh, the the division series, I should say, since 2008. Um, Now they have the offense to do it. So to me, that's been the biggest surprise, that the Rays' offense specifically – especially given how many guys really fell flat last year. They were counting on taking a step forward. Jeff, what for you has been the biggest surprise so far of the 2023 season? Yeah, I think it's been the Rangers. And it's twofold here. Um, 
they have one of the best offenses in baseball outside of the Rays. They have the second best offense in baseball, actually. And they haven't been doing it just for the long ball. Um, you know, that's probably their weakest area, but I think they're first in batting average first or second in on base percentage and they're second or third in slugging. Um, they continue to produce. Um, it's a good lineup sort of top to bottom. We knew that they've invested a ton of money in this team over the last couple of off seasons. And it's starting to pay dividends when you combine that with some of the players that they've acquired and some of the guys that, you know, they've targeted in the draft, et cetera. Um, Adalas Garcia has kind of been a bit of a star this season. Uh, we've seen the best of, of Josh Young. Um, and right on down, you know, Seager's back, et cetera. It's a good offense. It's a, it's a very good team. I think that of the good teams in baseball, at least from my viewpoint, and we talk baseball all day long, um, I feel like they're the least talked about really good team. I mean, this is this is a competitive team. You know, you look at this lineup top to bottom, it's Simeon, Seager, Lowe, uh, Garcia, Young, as I mentioned before. Jonah Heim has had a tremendous season thus far. Um, and I know that Josh has brought this up even, but like Leody Tavares has had a really good year. I don't think we ever thought that would actually happen after all the years that he was on prospect list. But, you know, he's 24 now playing center field, hitting 310, 369, 434. Um, it's not crazy power or anything, but that's a valuable player. And then we go to the, the other side of it. And, you know, they're one of the better um, starting pitching staffs in in baseball right now and that's with jacob Degrom on the shelf for the majority of this first half now right i mean what do you make four starts uh before he was down i think he might even had one missed start over that time frame i think they're third in starting pitcher war behind minnesota and seattle bullpen still isn't great but if there's one problem that you have with a team that you have to fix if it's the bullpen, that's probably a pretty good problem to have. You're not going to have to put as many assets out there. They brought up a really interesting arm last night in Grant Anderson, who I think is one of the best relief prospects in baseball. He was a guy that JJ and I had actually uh, pinned as a potential Rule 5 guy and someone I had talked about as a target that I would have in the Rule 5 draft that I would have taken. Um, and then Dylan's data uh, and the Robo Scout actually – pinned him as the top pitcher in AAA. It's a reliever, so we'll see what happens. But that's a pretty good arm to be able to bring up and reinforce things with. They've gotten a lot out of that starting pitching staff. And credit to Nate Eovaldi because you know, he really looks like a guy that you know probably is going to get some Cy Young votes this year, um, which at age 33, it's just a matter of Eovaldi being healthy. Because when he's been healthy, he's been good. But this has been by far the best season of his career. And it hasn't been overly fluky. I mean. 289 batting average on balls in play, uh, 76% left on base percentage, 52% ground ball rate. Um, you know, he's throwing a ton of strikes. I think his his walk rate right now is under 5%. His strikeout rate is around 25%. Um, he's really been their ace when I think everybody anticipated was going to be DeGrom. So if they can get DeGrom back and he throws, you know, he makes 12 starts in the second half and is healthy for the playoffs – that's a pretty good one-two punch at the top of your, your rotation. And you got some other guys, you know, that have come through. Um, so for me, I think it's the Texas Rangers. Not that I thought they were going to be bad. I thought they were going to be a competitive team. I didn't think they were going to be like in consideration, in consideration for um, best teams in baseball. And they're right there. And, you know, outside of Oakland, that's, 
that's not a cakewalk of a division either. You know, um, we talk a lot about the AL East and for, and for good reason, but you know, you got the defending champions there. You have the angels who are not a bad team and have gone out of their way to make sure all their best players are in the major leagues this season. Um, so they're trying, it seems like, which is good to see. Um, and then you have Seattle who one game above 500 is a bit of a sleeping giant. Of course you have Oakland who's really bad, but, with the balanced schedule and all that sort of stuff, it's not really that much of a question. I mean, they're, they're only what three, two, three games right now behind the Rays. I think they're only one in the loss column and maybe three in the win column. Um, you take out that streak at the beginning of the year, you can make an argument since that first two, three weeks of the season that the Rangers have been as good as anyone in baseball. Yeah. I mean, this was my pick for, you know, surprise team of 2023. It's in our crystal ball predictions. You can go back and look at it. You mentioned this lineup when we were kind of looking at everything for our preseason preview. And I started really diving into this lineup. You look at it and this is a good lineup. I mean, you look at, I fully expected year two, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, both of them to be much, much, much better. Jonah Himes, a really good player. He should have been an all-star last year. It was ridiculous that Jose Trevino was an all-star for the American league over Jonah Heim. That was the most ridiculous case of, uh, of Yankees favoritism and bias I've ever seen. It was a no brainer who the better catcher was last year. Uh, it should have been Heim. Nate Lowe has been a really good hitter for, for a while now. Again, really underrated. Um, Adolis Garcia, you know, you're going to get big power. He's improved, you know, his on base this year as well. I mean, you look to this lineup and, and at very least one to seven, it was pretty good. And, you know, you can filter in some other guys for those bottom two spots. And we've seen some guys really step up. You mentioned Leody Tavares is finally having the kind of year that that those who believed in him thought he could have. Ezekiel Duran did a really, really nice job for the Rangers uh, while Seager was out. You know, we've seen them get some contributions from some veteran guys. You know, I, I just think this is a really, really good lineup. And then when I looked at this pitching staff, once you add it in, Yavaldi and Jacob deGrom, I wrote this in the crystal ball preview. This was actually one of the better looking rotations in the American league, which I wouldn't have thought of until I actually looked at it. You know, Jacob deGrom only made six starts. He was great over those six starts, but sadly this has sort of been par for the course with Jacob deGrom. Injuries are going to hit, you know, Nate Yavaldi is a really good pitcher. I think a lot of people miss the fact he's been pretty good for a few years now he was doing that pitching in the AL East, playing in front of a horrible defense for the Red Sox. Um, I remember when I was kind of sketching some stuff out before uh, last offseason, you know, if you're a team looking for arms, I said the two pitchers to sign were Nate Uvalde and Zach Eflin. If you, you know, didn't want to break the bank and go into the DeGrom Verlander sweepstakes. And both those guys have been really, really good this year. I think Uvalde flourishing now in a pitcher's park, playing in front of a better defense is not hugely shocking. And to tie it all together, they have one of the best managers in baseball. They brought in Bruce Bochy. So you have a really talented lineup. You have a really good starting rotation. The bullpen has actually underperformed. I mean, there's guys in here with, with real stuff who are good relievers. I think some of them are going to get better as the year went on, goes on. And, and like you said, you can make those additions. I, I thought the Rangers had a chance to contend for a playoff spot. Now, I, I didn't think they'd be in first place in the AL West. I still think by the time the year is out, the Astros will still be division champions. You know, Jose Altuve just came back. He's been looking good. Alex Bregman has not hit his stride yet. Um, the, the Astros are are the favorite in this division until someone actually knocks them off. But the Rangers, I do believe, are a playoff team. I, I thought they'd be hanging around playoff contention. Now I think they're firmly in playoff contention and should make it. 
but but I think this is a team that again I know when we were just looking at it for preseason predictions when you actually sat down and looked at it this was a good team with a lot of talent and you have to give Chris Young credit I've talked about this before the previous Rangers regime fell in love with a lot of their own guys that they drafted who just were not very good. Um, they really, really love these raw athlete types whose baseball ability was just not there. And talking to some people at the Rangers, one of the things that Chris Young has really emphasized since he's come in is finding winning baseball players, guys who do the little things. He's a big league pitcher. He understands you do have to move runners. You have to make plays you're supposed to make. You have to you know, keep the line moving and pitchers have to execute. It's not just about raw stuff. You have to be able to execute in major leagues. He has done a good job of putting together a team of guys who can do that and give ownership credit as well for giving them the financial resources to go make the additions they need. Um, this is a good team. They're a deep team. They're a well-managed team. I don't think they're going away. And I think we'll see them at the very least in the postseason and, and, Look, this is the type of lineup and rotation that can give some teams trouble, especially if Jacob DeGrom is healthy. That's a vicious one-two punch. All right, Jeff. So there's a lot more to talk about. We've hit on biggest surprises. We've hit on, you know, what teams we think are going to stay in playoff position. We've talked about, you know, the landscape of Major League Baseball, but but there's still a lot more. Uh, we're going to talk about some disappointments, going to talk about a team you're low on, but I'm high on. And Going to have a little fun comparing a, a major league rotation with a minor league rotation, seeing which one is better. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break, then we'll dive right into that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we are back. Kyle Glazer here with Jeff Ponce breaking down the 2023 Major League season as we pass the one-third mark of the year. Jeff, before the break, we talked about 
biggest surprises, which teams we expect to drop out of the playoff race and into the and move, maybe move into the playoff race. And one of the teams that you kind of touched on, but we both agreed we would not predict will move into the National League playoff field is the Padres. Um, this is a team that, once again, stole a lot of headlines in the offseason. A lot of people were very, very high on them. I was actually lower on them. I did not pick them to win the West or come close to winning the World Series. I was actually a little surprised how many people did in the industry. Um, but as we sit here today, the Padres are in fourth place in the National League West. They are 25 and 29. They're well under 500. Uh, they have one of the worst offenses in baseball in terms of production, and they are significantly closer to the Rockies in last place in the division than they are the Dodgers in first place. Um, they've been one of the biggest disappointments. Obviously, I'm here in San Diego. I know this team inside and out, former beat writer, so I, I have some thoughts and some reference points, but I want to ask you your thoughts as someone who's, you know, from the outside looking in, that was probably higher on the Padres than I was coming into the year. Yeah. I, you know, I just think it's, it, you kind of anticipated like maybe there'd be some drag. They get Fernando Tatis Jr. back. You expect there to be a bounce back with, with Juan Soto, um, which, you know, I mean, it hasn't been, he struggled early on in the season. It's, been better i think over the last month plus i don't think the numbers are crazy you know 430 obp 500 slug he's up double digits in home runs um when you look at this team i think you know the 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 bigger issue with them is just like the pitching there's not a lot of pitching depth they got you darvish you know mushgrove hasn't been good walk has actually been surprisingly pretty good um snell is just one of the most frustrating pitchers in all of all of baseball i mean from start to start from inning to inning from year to year you just don't know what to expect he's 30 years old now um you know not he's been pretty bad frankly uh, you know he's got a five era and the underlying numbers are worse you know um that's a big question mark i probably should have been a little bit more skeptical of that um, and you know, Hader and Martinez, the back end of that bullpen are pretty good, but I think there's some question marks as the rest of it. Um, and the back half of their offense has not been great either. Now, granted, like they've had some injuries, like, you know, we, we know Manny Machado is out, but even if you, you know, you put, you know, Machado in at third base and then you move, you know, Hassan Kim over, to second base, you know, you still got Matt Carpenter as a DH. Gary Sanchez is now catching for this team. Um, Trent Grisham has just never been the same after his initial, you know, season or two in the big leagues. Uh, that's been exposed. Even their depth. I mean, you got guys like, you know, 42, 43-year-old Nelson Cruz, Brandon Dixon, Jose Azucar, um, Austin Nola. It's just, it's not it's just not as deep as I thought it was going to be. And I thought the top half of this lineup would just do a lot of damage. Cause you do look at Cronenworth, Tatis, Soto, Bogarts. Um, when Machado is healthy, that's, that's as good of a top five as you're going to see. And I think they banked on a lot of guys that you, you can't necessarily trust. And, you know, some of that glue, some of those, we'll say depth pieces, um, role players just have not, produced and that's been a big issue with this team um and they spent a lot of money to do it so 
it's it's not great you know i probably i got you know wrapped up in the off season and the, the moves of the last two years and thought about you know the combination of tatis soto bogarts and machado and said hey like this is a team that can really produce they haven't done a great job of building depth around this organization i think that's been blatantly obvious this season and that's the mo for aj Preller built teams and that's why for me coming into the year i looked at this team and i saw a lot of the same things you did and said this is going to be a real problem um just first and foremost the huge 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 holes in the bottom of the lineup you knew Trent Grisham was not going to hit. You knew Austin Nola was not going to hit. You know, Hassan Kim, you know, if you like him, you're hoping he's going to hit 230, 240 and play great defense. He's not going to be an offensive juggernaut. You look at the DH situation, Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz, two guys. You know, Carpenter performed okay last year, but watching him this year, I mean, the bat speed just isn't there anymore. Both these guys are just way, way, way past their primes. And, you know, this is just something that's consistently true. You can have the four or five, you can have the five greatest players in baseball as the top five in your lineup. If you're more or less giving away four outs every time through the lineup, you're not going to win games in Major League Baseball. You're just not. You know, Jake Cronenworth as well, the Padres really prematurely extended him. You know, he really, really, really fell backwards last year. A lot of people didn't seem to talk about it or notice it. He really, really regressed last year and he's regressed further this year. I think it's something too, where you look at this team where it's a top heavy lineup where you're relying on four or five, really it's it four guys, you know, potentially five to carry you. And if any of them just go through their normal ups and downs of the season, well, okay, now you're looking at three guys to carry you. And that's just not a winning strategy. You need to be able one to nine to count on guys in the lineup. And it wasn't that hard to predict, not that hard to see the Padres didn't have that. And the other part of it too is, you know, I, I talked about this at the time. Xander Bogarts is a great player. He was not the right fit for the Padres. What the Padres needed to spend their money on was pitching depth. I talked about Nate Uvalde and Zach Eflin. Those should have been their first two signings, no questions asked. They needed to go get an actual first baseman because what happens is, and we've seen this a lot with the Padres, they play a lot of guys out of position, and it really just saps their value. Um, you know, Jake Cronenworth, his value is when he's playing gold glove caliber second base, making contact, getting on base. You move him to first base, he's a great defensive first baseman, but you now have one of the least productive first basemen in baseball. You know, Hassan Kim, his value comes from his gold glove ability at shortstop. Hey, 240, play great defense, you know, maybe get 10 bombs. That's where, okay, it works out. You move him to second base. Again, he's a great defender who can play anywhere, but now you have one of the worst hitting second baseman in baseball. So the acquisition of Bogart shifted other guys into positions that make them, you know, frankly, make the team a worse team. And then you just did not get the caliber starting pitching depth they needed. Um, Michael Walker has been a, a pleasant, pleasant surprise, and he's done really well so far. But you have to be very wary of his injury history and how well he's going to hold up over the course of the season. Going into the season, expecting to give significant starts to Seth Lugo. Nick Martinez started the year as a rotation option. You know, Ryan Weathers has pitched okay so far, but you don't want to expose him too much. Um, that's a real issue. And, and again, the bullpen, the bridge to Josh Hader, again, they were counting on a lot of guys coming back from injuries. You know, Drew Pomerantz, who has not stayed healthy, just had another surgery. This was a team that was very, very flawed from the beginning. And, and it reminds me a lot of the 2015 Padres. Um, that was the first team I covered as a beat writer for my old paper. And, you know, that was a team that, again, the names now don't seem as good. But at the time, these were a lot of guys who were coming off, you know, Years they got MVP votes and were 
all-stars were really good players. They brought in Justin Upton. They brought in Matt Kemp. They brought in Derek Norris. They brought in Will Myers. They brought in all these headline splashy players. They signed James Shields. But you looked at it, and Alexi Amarista was still their sharp starting shortstop. Will Middlebrooks was still their starting third baseman. They didn't have a center fielder. They put Will Myers in center field, which was a predictable disaster. And they had no starting pitching depth. As soon as a few injuries hit, the only guy they had to bring up was Colin Ray. This is very similar to me. And this is a team that has some real, real flaws. And on top of it, the clubhouse vibes are not good. I've been down there a lot. I'm getting a lot of reminders of what it felt like in 2015 when they talked about, oh, you know, we're better than this. We should be, you know, it's time for us to get better. But they just never did. And you're starting to see some of the negative energy really, really seep in um, that happened with Matt Kemp, especially in 15. And you were kind of seeing it start to happen with Machado, um, especially after he got hurt. There are some real concerns here. I mean, look, the Padres are batting 222 as a team. That's the second worst in the majors ahead of only the A's, who we've established are not even trying. The Padres are hitting 192 with runners in scoring position. The next worst team in baseball is the Tigers at 213. This is a team with a lot of holes in the lineup. The approaches have not been good. They keep cycling through hitting coaches. And it's it this is not good. And I have to ask you, Jeff. I mean, do you think the Padres are a playoff team? Do you see this as a team that's going to rally back and and make a postseason run similar to look, the 2019 Nationals were 19 and 31 after 50 games. The Braves were under 500 in August of 2021, won the World Series. The Phillies were 22 and 29, fired their manager, ended up getting to the World Series. So we have seen teams who were in worse positions than the Padres rally back and reach the World Series. But looking at this team, how it is currently constructed, do you think this is a team that has a chance to rally back and be a postseason team? Probably not. Um, you know, I, I, you don't want to write anybody off at this point in the season still. Um, but it's been pretty bad. It is, you know, a serious climb up the, up that division and, you know, in a competitive national league with some teams that are pretty good, like the Mets who are kind of on the cusp at this point, I just don't know if they can do enough to get in. They're going to have to have like a Cardinals like month from the end of last season where, you know, they won whatever it was, like 22 out of 23 games or whatever it was. They're going to need something like that to get them back into the playoff picture here. I don't think they're catching the Dodgers. And the other thing is, I don't know what moves are left to make. Like, you can look at the Orioles and you can say, okay, like, I can see they need starting pitching. They have this, you know, cache of prospects uh, that they can trade from. The cupboard's kind of bare with the with with the Padres at this point. Not say that they don't have prospects; they always have a few that surprise us. But you know, there aren't five or six guys now that they have at their disposal that they can then ship out and sort of bring in the next guy that's reinforcements. And they're paying a lot of money to a lot of the guys in this roster. Um, and I just don't think they have the depth either, where there's sort of this Prince Charming waiting in AAA or AA that can come up and you know provide them innings or you know, quality at bats at the bottom of that lineup. I just don't see it. Um, you know, maybe the positional stuff can get fixed. I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it, it seems like it's funny. We, we compare and contrast them and the Rangers. They made splashier moves in the Rangers, but the Rangers seem to have acquired players that fit the puzzle a little bit better than those that have, have come to the Padres. Even and with that, that, the Grand. And that has been the consistent thing with the Padres. They acquired a lot of flashy players who don't fit. 
Um, and that's where the criticisms about roster construction are very real. Look, the Padres have had two winning records in eight seasons under AJ Preller, one of whom, one of which was the shortened 2020 season. If they keep going the way they're going now, it'll be two winning records in nine years. That that's not a track record that, you know, you you frankly feel good about. And the reputation starts to really exceed the production. I think with the Padres, where I go back to, you know, is this a team you can see rallying? I say no. And a big reason why is how they've played in May. They had a really, really tough schedule early in April. And you could say, okay, you know, Soto wasn't warmed up yet. Tatis didn't come back till the end of the month. Musgrove missed time with injury. He got back. He's been he's been better recently. His first couple starts were a little rough. You know, but now going into May, okay, they've got everyone back. Darvish is built up after the WBC. Um, this was going to be their time to really take off, especially when you looked at their schedule. And you saw series against the Reds, the Twins, the Royals, the Nationals, the Marlins. May was going to be, okay, they're at full strength. It's an easier schedule. This is when they should take off. They've gone 10 and 15 in May. They have not shown the ability to beat even the middling teams, let alone the good teams. Nothing the Padres have shown so far makes you think this is a playoff team. And that is the most concerning thing. And, you know, we'll see what happens, but you're right. There's not a lot of reason to be optimistic here. And you talk about the Mets. You know, one of the things, you looked at the Mets, you pulled up their their lineup before the season, and you actually had some similar feelings with the Padres where it's like, you know, for all the big names, all the splashy moves, the bottom of this lineup is, is pretty concerning. But the difference is the Mets had guys they could pull up from AAA who kind of fit perfectly into the spots that were concerning. They had Francisco Alvarez. They had Brett Beatty. They had Mark Vientos. Ronnie Mauricio's had had a really, really nice bounce back, which, again, fit the spots they needed. Brett Beatty at third base for Eduardo Escobar. Francisco Alvarez at catcher for Thomas Nito. Mark Vientos potentially as a DH for Dan Vogelbach. You looked at the Mets and said there are weak spots in this lineup, but they have guys they can pull up. The Padres don't have that. The guys they have right now are the guys they have to win with. And right now they're not playing like guys that can win top to bottom. And I don't know if any team can realistically expect to win games over the course of a 162 game season when Trent Grisham is your starting center fielder and you're giving him every day at bats, when their catching situation is what it is, um, when you're rolling out below average offensive performers at first base and second base every day when your DH combination is, is very, very old and, and there's not a lot of reason to expect they're going to find the fountain of youth. I mean, there's five spots in this lineup, more or less, every single game that are below average. And that's just not a recipe for success. So I, I, I think the Padres have to be the most disappointing team given the hype, but I'm also not entirely shocked this is how things are going. Jeff, who for you has been the biggest disappointment? Because you, you picked a different team, which surprised me a little bit given all the hype surrounding the Padres coming into the year. Yeah, I think it's the Cardinals because when I was coming out of spring training, I thought this was a I thought this was a World Series team. I thought this lineup might have been as good of a lineup as there was in baseball. Um, I thought that their pitching, despite maybe not having huge names in that rotation, I thought would perform and give them quality innings. Um, you know, we're talking about Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery. Uh, Mikolas, who was very good last year. We saw Libertor finally get the promotion, and you know we were higher on Libertor than other sites were coming into the year, um, and that came to fruition. And then like Adam Wainwright, who was hurt and didn't look great in the WBC, but it seems like year after year we kind of write that guy off, 
and he continues to produce. Um, I mean, they had so many major league caliber starting outfielders that it was like, how are they going to fit all these guys into the lineup? Still not a bad lineup either. Um, was I maybe too high on Brendan Donovan and Lars Newbar and what they could produce? I think we saw that Nolan Gorman had taken a step forward in spring training. And I think I underrated how bad Wilson Contreras's defense can be at times. Um, though that seems like at this point it might even be overrated. <laughs> and the bullpen's not bad. I mean, they have plenty of arms in the bullpen. Um, and they had maybe not an elite starter up front, but they had starting pitching depth. And I felt as if they were a team that could go out, trade some prospects that they have in the upper minors, and potentially add that guy at the one, two, or three spot in that rotation from another team. And they still could. Um, when I look at it, they are the third worst team in the National League right now, um, which I think is a bit of a surprise, especially when you consider how weak that division is. Um, that's probably a big contributing factor as to why I feel this way. They're only a game ahead of the Rockies, and they are two games in the win column, but the same loss column as the Washington Nationals. And I never would have anticipated that coming into the season. I also wanted to have a different disappointing team than you did. Um, you know, I covered the system. I was around the team. I just, I had a pretty good feeling. I thought that at worst, this was going to be, you know, an above 500 team that was going to be in the playoffs. They went on a run last year. They still certainly could. I'm not writing them off for the second half of the year, but I'm pretty disappointed in how the Cardinals have performed. And I think, you know, outside of the Padres, you'd probably have them as like the number two team in terms of disappointment as of Memorial Day weekend and, you know, heading into June. So I'm actually going to take a different tact. The Cardinals fell to 10 and 24, the worst record in the National League earlier this month. Since then, they have the best record in the National League. They're 15 and 8 since hitting that low point. And I'm glad you brought up Wilson Contreras because I think this was kind of a really interesting dynamic. The Cardinals announced Wilson Contreras wasn't going to catch them anymore. Um, at the time, it was an indeterminate amount of time. And they got blasted for it. People just absolutely ripped into them that it was a terrible signing. What are they doing? They're killing his confidence. You know, I mean, they took a lot of heat. And I actually thought they did absolutely the right thing. And I think it's important now that those people who criticize them kind of issue a mea culpa. When Wilson Contreras got sat down, the Cardinals pitching staff and, and, to be fair, the Cardinals pitchers were not executing. But, you know, one of the things they talked about and John Moselak kind of talked about is, you know, the pitch calling was not where it needed to be. You know, the familiarity with the pitchers, knowing what's the best thing for them to throw in certain situations just was not there. The Cardinals allowed 20 home runs with two strikes in their first 34 games. 20 home runs with two strikes. I mean, that's that's awful. And a big reason why their pitching staff had a 4-7-1 ERA prior to sitting Contreras. They sat him down for a week and a half, figured out what they needed to figure out in terms of you know pitch calling, execution, what to do, what each pitcher likes to throw in these situations, what's the best thing for them. They brought him back in. They've put him back behind the plate now. And since they sat Wilson Contreras down for that reset and, and kind of eased him back in, they have the best record in the National League after allowing 20 home runs with two strikes in their first 34 games. They've allowed only six homers with two strikes in the last 24 games. Their pitching staff had a 4-7-1 ERA prior to that reset. They've had a 3-7-3 ERA since. 
the Cardinals got blasted, but they made the right decision. They saw very clearly, hey, what we're doing right now is not working. We need to sit Contreras down, work through some things with him, get him to a point where we feel like he can be successful behind the plate. They did that, and now we're seeing that. And I think, to me, that's the sign of a healthy organization. Obstinately just sticking to your guns when what you're doing very clearly isn't working, that's that's the sign of an unhealthy organization. That's a sign of a team that doesn't have the clear vision to be realistic about what's happening in front of them. The Cardinals did the right thing. They saw, hey, this isn't working. We need to address this directly and aggressively and right now. And they did. And since Contreras has come back, again, the entire team, everything is going better. That reset has completely turned the Cardinals season around. Contreras is doing much better behind the plate. The team as a whole is executing better all around. They got him to where he needed to be, and now we're seeing the results. So I, I think for me, the Cardinals, you know, again, they they take a lot of heat, and a lot of it is because the expectations of the organization are so high because of the success they've had. But to me, I, they made absolutely the right decision here. And, and I think they deserve credit for that, for being clear-eyed enough to say this isn't working, for being aggressive enough to saying we're going to fix this right now and not just – let it keep playing out and hope and pray it magically gets better. And they're being rewarded for it. I think this is a team on the rise. I think this is a team that not only is going to make the playoffs, I think they'll, they have a really good chance to jump Milwaukee for first place in the division. Um, I think the Cardinals were in a good place and everyone involved in that decision that got blasted for it deserves credit because it was the right thing to do. And we're seeing the benefits right now. Yeah. All right, Jeff. So there's a few other things that, you know, we could talk about. I wrote about last night, the Dodgers, uh, despite all their losses, uh, injuries, free agent losses, they still have the best record and the best run differential in the national league. And at this point, you just pencil them in for that. Um, the Braves have stayed afloat despite injuries to Max Fried and Kyle Wright and some of their bullpen issues. Uh, first and foremost, seeing Mac, Mike Soroka's return, uh, was really, really special. Um, just everything he's been through hasn't pitched since 2020 and, Seeing him get back to the majors after two Achilles tears is, is you know, a testament to him and a great moment for the franchise. And look, the Angels are sticking around with, with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Um, one issue is they have the most errors in the American League, which is hurting them. The defense has gotten better. Zach Neto has been a wizard at shortstop. It's been remarkable to watch. You know, getting Jared Walsh back at first base has helped the defense. Um, Anthony Rendon was playing horrible defense at third base. It was it was shocking to see before he got hurt. Gio Urshela being there now has has helped solidify some things. So the defense is getting a little bit better, and, and this team is has been okay. We'll see if they can get there. But really the number one storyline this season, in a lot of ways, is the Oakland A's and just how bad they are. Um, I, I've written about this a few times. I, I've pointed out a few things, and – Look, we've talked about it. This was done intentionally to make things as miserable as possible for this team to get to Vegas. Um, and we'll see if that gets finalized here in the coming months. The A's right now are 12 and 45. And this is a historically bad team. This is a team far worse than the 1962 Mets, the 2003 Tigers. You know, pick your favorite team. You really have to go back to the 1899 Cleveland Spiders to find a team this bad. But when you look at it, what makes them so bad is really the pitching. Now, I should say what makes them historically bad is the pitching. You know, offensively, look, this is not a good team. They're near the bottom of the league and, and everything. Um, you know, they're hitting 220 as a team, you know, 356 slugging percentage. I mean, 
This is not a good offense, but it's not a historically bad offense. Again, there are teams who have hit 220 over the course of a season plenty. There are teams who have had OPSs in the 650s plenty. Um, what, what makes this team historically bad is its pitching staff. The A's right now have a 6.88, or sorry, 6.68 team ERA. And that's really concentrated in the starters. A's starters right now have a 6.99 ERA. That is on pace to obliterate the current record for worst starting rotation ERA, the 1996 Tigers 6.64. So Jeff, I want to pose a question to you. And, And as I ask it, I know it's kind of a ridiculous question, but... I think it's kind of interesting depending on how you frame it. So I want to go back, you know, during last decade when Alabama football was really, really rolling and you had, you know, the Cleveland Browns had a winless season. The Jacksonville Jaguars were perennially terrible. You know, you'd have people as lost sports talk radio fodder coming on and saying, Oh, you know, Alabama would beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you just laugh and say, no, Alabama might have 20 NFL players on its roster. The Jaguars have 53. If you put those two teams on a field, 100 times out of 100, the Jaguars would win. Bigger, stronger, faster, more physical. So comparing, you know, teams that are at a lower level to a top-level team, it's just laughable, and and you would never, ever, ever think – you should never, ever think that any college team would beat any, you know, major professional team or any minor league team would ever beat any major league team. It's It would never happen. But when I look at this A's rotation, this is not a major league rotation. 6.99 ERA. They're averaging four and two-thirds innings in the start. The Dodgers rotation at double-A Tulsa, again, it feels crazy to say this. We're not even talking about triple-A rotation. We're talking about double-A rotation. Has been absolutely electric. It has been not just the best minor league rotation in baseball this year. It's one of the better minor league rotations we've seen in some time. I'm working on a story about this, and it's what they're doing it's hard to find another minor league rotation that has been this good in recent history. If you ask the question, would double a Tulsa's rotation be better than the A's rotation? The answer is no. Like when you frame it that way, it's a clear no, but let's frame it a different way. Could Tulsa's starters have an ERA? Let's just call it a 6.8 ERA in the major leagues and average four and two thirds innings per start in the majors right now? Because if the answer to that question is yes, they're a better starting rotation than the A's. Uh, So I want to ask you this, Jeff, could Tulsa's rotation fare better in the majors than the A's rotation? And again, when you frame it that way, it doesn't sound right, but I'll I'll ask you this. Could Tulsa's rotation manage, let's call it a six, seven, five ERA and average four and two innings per four and two thirds innings per start in the major leagues right now. Do you think they can I really think they could, you know, I player for player. I might actually, I I think I take that. I think I I take that Tulsa rotation, frankly, you know, but I also love that Tulsa rotation. (laughs) I may be a bad, I may be a bad one to ask that question to. Well, I mean, you think about it, right? So let's, let's take some context and put it in here. So the A's have that 6.99 ERA while playing their home games in one of the most pitcher friendly parks in major league baseball. In their division, they play in some extremely pitcher-friendly parks. Seattle, Texas's new stadium, Angel Stadium. The Texas League's a very hitter-friendly league. 
what Tulsa starters are doing is kind of remarkable. And you look at the stuff outside of Mason Miller, their stuff is pretty much as good as anyone on the A's rotation. You know, I want to take this a step further. So the A's starters right now are allowing opponents to hit 291, 371, 522. The average hitter is hitting 291, 371, 522 against A's starters. Mike Trout is hitting 281, 369, 527 this year. 896 OPS versus an 893 OPS. The A's are making the average major league hitter, the A's starters are making the average major league hitter look like Mike Trout this year. That is the level we're talking about. And I think when you talk about that level of performance, again, let's go back to could Tulsa come up and have, Tulsa's rotation have a 6.75 ERA in the majors, an average four and two thirds innings per start? I think they could. And that would make them better than the A's rotation, which again sounds insane to me that we're having a conversation about a double A rotation being better than a major league rotation. But when you frame it that way and break it down, it kind of feels achievable, which is again kind of insane. <laughs> it really, it really is. I mean, and I think if you look at player for player and just go pitch by pitch. You got better fastballs, better secondaries, guys who throw harder, <laughs> like, and it, you know, than than you see in the A's rotation. Like, you know, if we look back in five or six years and compare those names, I think Tulsa might end up being a pretty a pretty easy win. Um, and I think right now there's a few of those guys that might be seeing significant innings for the A's. I probably take every single one of them, you know, as a prospect even last year um over the guys that you know are in this rotation that like you know Muller and I guess Medina's technically in that rotation still correct um I think Muller actually got demoted at some point um but not sure if he's back up now really Mason Miller and he's hurt is really the only guy that's pitching for that team right now that I would even consider JP Sears has kind of been a, a better than we probably been okay He's been, okay. he's been okay. Yeah. No, I mean, again, this is this is this is the level we're talking about with with the A's, and um, yeah, it's an interesting thought. Again, I, the one hesitation I have is this: this staff in Tulsa has not been overly durable. They're only averaging four innings per start. So, you know, bumping that up to four and two thirds innings per start against major league hitters—that's my one hesitation. But, Do you think some of that's depth and just the Dodgers? I mean, they have six starters. Like, I think some of it is they piggyback, right? I mean, they're kind of like the Astros in that sense. It's 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 more the Dodgers are very conservative with their innings workloads with their pitchers. They always have been. I talked to some of their officials the other day about, you know, Emmett Sheehan only going four innings. Like, yeah, I mean, he can go seven. We're just we're being cautious. We're 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 we hold these guys back. So, but it's one thing again to talk about in theory versus going out and actually doing it. So that that's my one hesitation, but. Again, do I believe this this staff could post a six seven five ERA in the majors? I think they could, and that would make them better than the A's, which again speaks to where we're at. All right, Jeff, just to wrap up real quick. Um, obviously, this is primarily a major league podcast, but this is Baseball America. We have to talk about it. Padres promoted Ethan Salas, sixteen years old, to low A like Elsner yesterday. Uh, he's sixteen for one more day. I'll be going out there tonight, uh, writing a story about him and some of the the history of players this young being in full season ball. 
Uh, just real quick, one minute or less, thoughts on Ethan Salas and, and the fact he's in full season ball before he turns 17. Yeah, it's incredible. And we've seen a lot of these players uh, get promoted up, uh, you know, um, to full season levels while they were still very young. And it seems like it's become more and more prevalent. We saw Louis Lara, uh, you know, obviously is one. Um, Nelson Rada being another. Um, you know, we even saw Jonathan Mejia uh, last week was promoted to a full season level by the Cardinals. Um, so, you know, that part of it, I think we're seeing more and more, especially as some of the lower levels have been shrinking. We don't have that short season sort of middle ground between rookie ball and um, full season levels like we used to have, or maybe we would have ha- seen some of these guys assigned there first. But I think the thing with Solace is um, we probably didn't even know how good of a prospect he was until he came stateside and we saw him play in the backfield and we got, you know, opinions from domestic opposing scouts that it was like, okay, yeah, this is legit. Cause we do see, really high grades, really high bonuses, a lot of hype in the international market. And I'd say maybe only 30% of the time it even comes to fruition. I might be being really generous there. You are that 30%, yeah. you know, yeah. um, no, but just terms of high, the top five guys in the class, they tend to be pretty good. But like, even then we don't necessarily see the hype get sort of matched. He came out, he hit last night. We know what the defensive skills are. He caught in a major league game in spring training. Uh, the international scouts that I've spoken with, the feedback has been great. Um, so, yeah, it's just really impressive. Uh, you know, I'm excited to watch him and follow along. Um, I had a ball game earlier today, so I'll be home tonight and be able to tune in, and you know, maybe he gets to start behind the plate. Yeah, no, it's it's remarkably impressive. Again, seeing him catch you, Darvish, and Joe Musgrove in spring training and just how quiet the hands were, how calm and confident he was behind the plate. It's Really, really special and rare to see. Um, you know, one of the things the Padres talked about in extended spring training is they really just wanted to get him used to seeing high velocity because as talented as he is, he didn't see a lot of it. So really focused on that in extended spring training and and he took to it, no problems. Uh, got out to Elsinore last night, first at bat, 16-year-old in full season ball. Uh, worked a full count, eight pitch at bat, fouled some good pitches away and drove a double the other way into the left center gap. Um, this is an impressive young player in a lot of ways. And uh, I look forward to seeing him in person, uh, being out here in SoCal. I'm sure I'll see plenty of him this year and look forward to seeing what he can bring. And uh, again, keep an eye out for the story tomorrow. We're going to have a lot of good stuff after talking to him and, and putting it into perspective how rare this truly is, seeing a, a position player in full season ball before turning 17, even for just a day or two. All right, Jeff, we covered a lot. Any final thoughts here as we wrap up? No, everything we're going to say, just like in last year's podcast, is going to be proven completely incorrect. So put, place your bets on the Padres. Hey, no, hey, <laughs> I, told, I told the Mariners having a turnaround last year when we spoke at the quarter pole, and that one worked out. The Angels one was funny because I think at that point they had been playing really well, and then all of a sudden that's when they went on that like disastrous downturn, and Joe Madden ended up getting fired. Yep. And Cleveland was sitting here at a 500 record and made the playoffs. It's like, you just never know. It's why we play the games. It's one of the things that's great about baseball is there's so much unpredictability from year to year, you know? Yeah. We'll see what happens. A lot of season left. I know I'm looking forward to it. And so is Jeff. Once again, this has been another baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, 
Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.